Tonight, we have with us the librarian from Spencer, Iowa, who rescued Dewey the Library Cat. I'm Richard. I'm Amber. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Welcome to all of our listeners from around the world. We're happy to have you back with us. And we have a very special guest this evening, Vicki Myron, and she is a New York Times bestselling author. Welcome, Vicki. Well, it's nice to be here. <laughs> well, Vicki, I tell you what, uh, <clears throat> back in 1988, you probably had no idea that you'd become a New York Times bestselling author. You had no idea probably uh, that what happened then would actually change your life forever. That's absolutely true. It was a typical morning. I wasn't expecting anything, and it changed my life forever. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Uh, it was a cold, wintry morning, and you were prepared just uh, to go in. It was another day at work at the library in Spencer, Iowa. And uh, it, what happened when you got there? Well, I usually get there before all the staff. And I was making coffee, um, and the next thing on the list was emptying the book drop. Our book drop is about four feet by four feet, about two feet high, and it has a slot outside in the alley. And people dump their books in there. This was a Monday morning, so the book drop was absolutely full to the top. Oh. And um, my assistant had come in, and... She said, what's that noise? And I said, I don't know, but it sounds like an animal. I hope it's not a mouse or a rat. <laughs> and I opened the book drop, and in the front left corner was this very tiny kitten. Oh. And he wasn't really meowing. He was hoarse. Um, but when the outside is 20 below, the inside of the box is 20 below because somebody had put in too many books. So the slot was open oh, and oh it's no. a metal box. So it was very, very cold. So I pulled him out and he started pouring immediately. And I, jeans and my assistant said, what are we going to do with him? I said, well, the first thing we're going to do is give him a bath to warm him up. He's just freezing. So I put a little water in the sink, a little soap, and gave him a bath. He purred all the way through the bath, and then we dried him off, and by then the staff was arriving, and no matter who held him, he snuggled in and purred like crazy, and he was the cutest little thing. So somebody said, well, what are we going to do with him? And I said, you know what? I've got an idea. Since I had been director at the library, I'd always felt that it was very institutional and cold. The library was built in 1971, and it was concrete blocks that had never been painted. Oh. And the carpeting was orange, and all the furniture was black. So it was like walking into Halloween every day. Oh, my. And I had been working to get the money to redo the library. And my my main goal was to make it more homely, homey and more friendly and um, a place you want to come and sit. And I just thought, you know, if this cat likes people, 
we've got a homey feeling. And so we kept him for a few days. I called the city attorney to make sure it was legal. Then I called um, all of the board members and the city council, and most of them said, well, I've never heard of it, but I don't think there's any law against it. So, so we decided to keep him. And the first few days we kept him in the back room because his pads on the bottom of his feet were frozen and eventually they fell off. Um, oh. And we needed to get some food in him and get him acclimated to the library. And he did really good. So about a week later, a couple of the board members came in and they met him and fell in love with him. And he purred and purred and purred. So then we decided we would introduce him to the public. But first we had to have a name. And I had originally called him Dewey, not because of the Dewey Decimal System, but because Melville Dewey is like the, the godfather of libraries. <laughs> okay. he, he started it all. So we were calling him Dewey. And then um, my children's librarian said, well, I don't think that's a long enough name. She said, you know, there's a cartoon show on Saturday mornings called O.G. Readmore. <laughs> Why don't we call him Dewey Readmore? <laughs> I love I it. I said, well, let's, let's make it a sentence. I said, Dewey Readmore Books. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so it fit, but we still held a contest for the public to name him so that they would feel a part of it. And we got over 375 names. Um, most of them were kind of weird, goofy, and, but over 60 people asked us to keep the name Dewey. So that's how it started. And he just became the star of the library. I mean, everybody loved him. And he was so friendly. He would climb in people's laps and snuggle up for a nap. And, um, he just made the place cheerier. He made the staff come together more. And it all started from from that. Yeah, and then in uh, August of 1989, he decided to take a little vacation, didn't he? <clears throat> yes, he did. Um, he was, like I said, super popular by then. The thing about Dewey is I never promoted him. But if somebody asked me for an interview, I never turned it down. Mm -hmm. So people would write, come and visit and see him and meet him and then go home and write an article for their local newspaper. And then Chuck Offenberger, who had a column in the Des Moines Register, came and wrote an article about Dewey. And then some woman put it in an, a magazine and it just ballooned like that. So he was very famous. Um, and in 1989, as we were remodeling the library, um, our janitor, uh, who cleans late at night had come in and the next morning that I arrived, there was no Dewey uh Oh, and we looked everywhere. He had special hiding places. He would go in between the bookshelves and lay in there when he wanted privacy but we looked through all the common book areas and everywhere we could think of, and he wasn't around. And the next day he wasn't there. And, and so I called the janitor and I said, do you 
when you put the garbage out, do you prop the door open? And he said, yes, I do. And so I knew Dewey had gotten out. And he'd never been around traffic or cars or the outdoors ever. So we were really frightened. I didn't tell the public because I didn't want to scare the kids. Mm. And I decided I would wait. And, you know, we told some of the regulars so that they could go out and look for him. And the staff on their lunch hours and their breaks would go out and look for him. Couldn't find him anywhere. So on the third day that he was gone, I decided I needed to write a press release to let people know. And I was working on it when my assistant walked in and she had gone downtown, which is just a block away. And she'd gone to the drugstore for something. And she said, Vicki. And I said, what? She said, Vicki, look. And she had found Dewey underneath a car on Grand Avenue, which is the main road in town and very, very busy. And he was filthy dirty, had oil on him. He had been tiny under cars um, and very frightened. So I gave him a bath again, cleaned him up. And the funny thing is, after that day of being outside by all the trucks and the cars and the semis, he never, ever tried to get out again. Even if you left the door open, he wouldn't go anywhere near it. (laughs) I can understand why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was a smart cat. (laughs) He was. Yeah. I've never met a cat like Dewey. He was. It's hard to describe him. I know people think I'm exaggerating, but he was not only smart, he was so in tuned to people. If somebody had lost, you know, like their wife or their dog or something and were sad, he spent hours with that person mm-hmm. on their lap. Yeah. And the other thing that was unique about him is he didn't care if you were rich or poor filthy, dirty, or clean, you know, homeless or rich. He didn't, he didn't care. He never discriminated. Whoever picked him up, he absolutely adored them. Snuggled in and purr. The only person who could not touch him was the vet. (laughs) As soon as Dr. Estuli came in the library and Uh said something, he recognized the voice, and he would go hide for hours. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, I told you he was a smart he cat. He was a smart cat. That he was. Yeah. Uh, he was so smart that if I had to, um, bath became a dirty word after he'd had those first couple of ones. <laughs> I, you couldn't say the word bath. You had uh-huh. to spell it. <laughs> and if I was going to take him to the vet for a checkup or a shot, uh-huh. I couldn't even think about it. Oh, what no. I had to do is pretend that it was a normal day and have one of the staff in line so that when I pulled my car into the alley, whoever that staff person was had to bring him out to me. Oh, no. <laughs> because even if I said, you know, we, we've got an appointment today, he took off and you couldn't find him for hours. <laughs> 
I swear he knew English. I couldn't say the word scissors. You know, when I trim up a, a knot on him or something. Yeah. Couldn't talk about that. So he was a very smart boy. Yes. And was. wonderful with the public. Yeah. In fact, Absolutely wonderful. In fact, uh, you gave him the title of staff supervisor, didn't you? Yes, I did. He was a city employee, and the reason he was a city employee is his vet, Dr. Esterly, gave him a city employee discount. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. So he was officially yeah. the meter and greeter and the PR person. And he that? brought more people into the library than you could imagine. Um, when Before I found him, we would get like 60,000 people a year in there. After we had him, it went to immediately 100,000. Oh, wow. Almost double. Almost double. Yes. And... Um, it was a busy library, so it was a good thing that he loved everybody because we had 300 people a day in there, average. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he was great. He even uh, raised some money for a charity pet photograph contest in 1990, didn't he? He did. Um, one of the main photographers in town was having a um, pet photograph thing. Um, it was $10 to get your pet's photo taken. So I took Dewey over there and he explored around the room. Cause you can imagine the number of pet smells that were in that room. Um, he had done dogs and cats and everything. And, and Dewey loved cameras. If somebody brought a camera, he would pose immediately. That's why there were so many documentaries about him and photos of him as he just, he loved the camera, but he was so confused being in there. He wouldn't sit on the chair. So finally I said to the photographer, I said, do you mind if I show him your camera? He said, well, you know, it's not a regular camera. It was one of the big box ones that you, you know, put a black cloth over your head mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I said, well, let me try. So I took him over and I said, do we, this is a camera. And I let him smell it and everything. And then I put him down and I said, go sit in that chair. And he got up on the chair and posed for that picture in one take. Oh, wow. So then two weeks later, um, Shopko had a pet photo contest for the most beautiful pet in Spencer. So I submitted that photo and there was no names on anything. But... Um, the people of Spencer knew him already, so he won the contest by a landslide. <laughs> <laughs> and so we gave the money to the Friends of the Library for improvements. And, oh, that's great. Yeah, so they could get yeah. away from those Halloween colors and have uh, some more. Yes, I remodeled the library in 1989, and we called it Move move out, move over, move in. Mm -hmm. It took us um, about two weeks. You can imagine moving all those books and all the shelves and all the furniture. And so he lived at my house for two weeks. If there was a holiday or we weren't open, I always took him home with me. Mm -hmm. And um, so we got the rebounding done, got brand new carpet and shelves and 
um, brought some color in and also painted all the walls. So I brought him back um, when the furniture was back in, but the painting wasn't done. And the painter was married to one of my staff people. His name is Tony Joy. And he was painting up above the bookshelves. And we had like 14-foot ceilings. So Tony would bring a really tall ladder. And every single time he started painting, Dewey would climb the ladder. He loved ladders. Absolutely loved them. And then he would get up on top of the bookshelf and just walk back and forth. And Tony told me one day, he always called me Mrs. President. And he said, Mrs. President, I don't think I'm going to be liable if there's blue paint on your cat. (laughs) (laughs) But Dewey was very careful. He never got any paint on him. And he'd eventually come down from the ladder. And one of the other things he loved was Christmas. Oh. He had an absolute addiction to the Christmas tree. Oh. The first time we brought it out, it was an artificial Christmas tree, you know, in a big box. And we had other small boxes of ornaments and stuff to hang on the tree because I always did a theme tree every year, something different. And the first time we brought it out and brought out that tree box, he went crazy. He, what I call, danced with joy. He'd prance around with this big grin on his face and jump in the box with the branches and just go crazy. And then as soon as the tree was decorated and done, we would put um, like four empty boxes underneath it that were wrapped like Christmas gifts just for looks. And every morning I would come into work, all those boxes that were under the tree were pushed away (laughs) about five feet so that he could sleep under it. (laughs) How funny is that? (laughs) And for, we usually decorated on the first Monday in December and left it up until after Christmas. So he slept under that tree every night, just loved it. And, and one year the friends of the library and I did a, a Dewey center tree. We took um, paper doilies and cut out pictures of him, copies of pictures, um, and cut them in round circles and put them on the doilies. And then we had poinsettias on it, so it was a red and white Christmas tree with a giant bow at the top. And there was a contest in town at the convention center for people who would bring in trees Um they would be up for like a weekend and people would pay to go through and look at them. And some of them you could buy some of them not, but we did a tree and that tree that year. Um, and we put a big sign on it said, do we love Christmas? Yes, we do. (laughs) And, and it was spelled D E W E Y. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So I took it out of the library on a Friday night to get it set up at the, convention center and Dewey was just lost heartbroken he he didn't have his tree so he moped around for a while and uh, was very happy when I brought it back but 
um, the funny thing is he helped me decorate it. In those boxes of decorations was a skein of yarn, red yarn. And he discovered that one day, just went nuts over it, carried it around, kicked it with his back feet, slept with it like a pillow. And so when we finished decorating the tree, I thought it was done. And I came in the next morning and he had gotten a hold of the end of the yarn and wove it through the bottom branches of the tree. Yeah, it was about a foot high. He had decorated it with yarn, and I thought, you know, that's a really great idea. So when we took it to the convention center, I wound the yarn up through the tree and then left the skein laying at the bottom, and we won first prize. How about that? Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, I still have that skein of yarn. I kept it and brought it home. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That cat was something else. Uh, unconditional love, and um, what what an amazing story. Oh, he taught people so many lessons. We had one guy, I'm not sure he was homeless, but he was probably as close to homeless as possible. He never spoke to any of the staff. We never knew his name, but he would come in, walk around, find Dewey, and pick him up on his shoulder in the Dewey carry. And he would talk to him for about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then he'd put him down and leave. And he sometimes came in twice a day. Mm -hmm. And um, he was not not that clean a person. (laughs) There was a bit of smell. But Dewey just snuggled up to him. And when Dewey passed away at 19 and a half years old, that guy never came back again. Mm. Oh, wow. He had his own special bonding with the cat. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. And what's amazing is people would come up to me all the time and whisper to me, and they'd say, well, you know, I know Dewey loves everybody, but he and I have a special bond. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet 20 people told me that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I believe it. Which, you know, is a tribute to him that he made people feel that's special. Yeah, yeah that, that's a very special uh, trait that he had there. And, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that he, <clears throat> at 19 and a half he did uh, pass away. But even to this day, Vicki, Dewey is helping to raise uh, money for the Friends of Spencer Library because a couple few weeks ago, we ordered some of those postcards. And I actually have yeah. one in my collection. Amber has... I'm a huge Dewey fan, Great. first of all, and I work with special needs children, and I, as I recall, Dewey had an affinity for, for children with disabilities. Oh, he did. His favorite out of all of them was Crystal, and she was in a wheelchair, um, didn't have much movement, and couldn't speak, and just, you know, made noises once in a while, and one day when she was in there, I put Dewey on the she had a tray on the front of her wheelchair to put books and things on. Dewey climbed up there, and she just squealed with delight. And I've never seen that big a smile in my life. And so a um, couple weeks later when she came in, it was a really cold day, and Dewey loved to be warm. So I 
unzipped her winter coat and put him inside. Mm-hmm. And he just, he went to sleep. And oh. she just grinned and grinned and grinned. Mm-hmm. And after that, when she would come into the library, she would squeal, make a noise, and he'd come running. And he sat on her tray every time she came in. Wow. And the other effect he had on the special needs people was we had kids and adults that both had special needs, and they would come to the library once a week. Because Dewey didn't like noise or, you know, people talking loud and and running around, they knew that if they came in, they had to be quiet and do what the teacher said, because if they didn't, Dewey would leave. So it changed the behavior of both of those classes and also our story hour kids. Oh, wow. They figured out if they were noisy and rowdy that Dewey would walk out of the room. So He was born to work in a library. He almost doesn't he seem was. like a cat. Huh? He almost doesn't seem like a cat. No, no. No, he... and I always said Dewey was an old soul. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I've never met an animal that had that many um, characteristics of a, of a person. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? And babies, oh, my God, he adored babies. Um, And a lot of mothers, you know, didn't trust him around little ones. Yeah. But they would come in with a car seat, you know, with the baby in it and sit it on the floor. And and Dewey was very smart. He'd sit about six feet away, and then he'd watch the mother and the baby, and then he'd scooch sideways (laughs) just a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> and just a little bit until he was next to the baby. <laughs> and they would poke his nose and pull his hair, uh-huh. you know, and and hit him and stuff. He never moved. He loved babies. Oh, oh man. Yeah, that is. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Vicki, this is, this is an incredible story all by itself, even if it were to end here. But. Your story continues. Chapter two, you end up becoming a best-selling author because of all of this. How did that happen? Yes. Well, as my friends like to say, I wasn't retired. I was rewired. <laughs> um, that's, that's pretty good. When Dewey that. passed away, it was about 1230 in the afternoon. Um, he had stomach cancer. Uh, a very huge mass in his stomach and we had to put him down. It was squishing his kidneys and, and, um, he was in a lot of pain. So we put him down and, you know, the staff knew, and I don't know if they called family members or what, or if the radio station found out, but by three o'clock that afternoon, that was when they had the CBS afternoon news break at three o'clock. Yeah. They announced it that day. Oh, wow. So it got onto the wire services somehow. The next day, it was in 275 newspapers in the United States. It was also announced in, I don't know how many countries, Japan, Australia, England. So since it was such big news, there was a a literary agent in New York. Well, actually I had three agents call me. Um, two of them wanted cute little cat books 
you know, that were just silly and I didn't want to do that. And the third agent who called me, Peter, Peter McGuigan, he said, I want you to write a real book. I want a good book that you want to write. And I said, that's wonderful, but I'm still working full time. I don't know how I'd ever get it done. And he said, well, I'll get you a co-author. And so there were about six people who called me. I didn't really click with any of them until the last one. And that was uh, Brett Witter. And the funny thing is when Peter told Brett about writing this book, he said, okay, let me get this straight. You want me to go to Iowa to some podunk town <laughs> to talk to a librarian about a cat, about a cat <laughs> that's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, when Peter told me about Brett, I said, this is not going to work. He's the same age as my daughter. You know, he lives in Louisville, Kentucky. How are we going to have anything in common? How is this going to work? Well, Brett called me and we talked for over three hours. Oh, wow. And the next day he emailed me um, a few paragraphs of what he got out of it. And my reaction was, oh, my God, that's me. That's mm. my voice. Yeah. And so it just it worked out wonderfully. And eventually I retired just to focus on the book. And um, we knew it was good when they started a bidding war among the publishers. Everybody was jumping in trying to get the book. But on, on a Tuesday, they were going to take it to auction. Because really popular books, they take to auction and then all the publishers bid on them. Well, the publisher that we had read the book at midnight in bed and cried all the way through it. And so she called her assistant and said, get this book no matter what. Mm, wow. So we were very lucky. And the other reason it was a bestseller is because he'd had a guy from Boston do a documentary on him. He'd had a Japanese public television come for six days and do a documentary on him. He'd been in like 27 magazines and I don't know how many newspapers. So he already had a fan base. Yeah. And that's why we climbed the bestseller list so quickly. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Something that you never dreamed in your wildest never dreamed. that yeah. would ever happen. It's amazing, uh, Vicki, how sometimes things happen in our life and we take a turn that we never expected to take in the first exactly. place. And you know what's the most amazing? I'm still getting 10, 12 fan letters a month. Oh, oh wow. It's still happening. People are still rereading it or they're discovering it for the first time. Yeah. And it's amazing. I, I get fan letters like you can't believe the impact that that book had on people. Mm -hmm. uh, women who have gone through a divorce. Um, women who have health, health problems. Um people who've lost family to cancer or suicide. It's all over. I even had a, a guy in the Navy who was on a ship on, outside of Afghanistan who wrote me and said, I have to read your book only at night in my bunk 
because I don't want the other soldiers to see me crying. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because this- so he's touched a lot of people, and that's yeah. the most amazing thing of all. I'm so blessed yeah, that this book had such an impact and changed people's lives. Yes, Vicki, it's, it's a book about unconditional love, and uh, there's nothing better than that for absolutely uh, to spread. And you have certainly touched the hearts and minds of millions around the world. And like you say, it, it continues to this day. And as absolutely. I, and as I said earlier, he continues to raise a little bit of money for the That's library. That's right. Dewey is still yeah. going strong. This is one he fantastic is. cat. He was quite the teacher. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, not just very much teacher, so. But he, yeah. I had a, I had a nine-year-old girl write me a few years ago, and she said, "I've read your book, and I really love it, but I don't have anybody to talk to about my feelings." Uh, and my mother took me out of school to homeschool me. I don't have any friends. I don't think I belong in this world. And so I wrote her back and I said, please don't say that. You're perfect the way you are. Yeah. And go talk to a minister, an aunt, a neighbor, somebody. And I said, if you can't find anyone else to talk to, you write to me. Yeah. And so we wrote back and forth for about three months. And I said, go reread the Dewey book, but pretend Dewey's a person, not mm-hmm. a cat. Yeah. Yeah. So- and she wrote me back and she said, I've learned so much for your book, and I'm. I hope you're proud of me. I went out to the playground today, and I made a friend. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. You are. Oh, you're making a difference, Vicky, uh, and 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 uh, through Dewey and you, uh, the world is a better place. Well, I'm very honored that I was part of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you have the foresight to see that um, this is more than just a, a pet story. This is a story of unconditional love that transcends just about everything else. And as you say, uh, those kind of uh, stories can help people in need. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, in our last few moments of the uh, podcast, uh, Vicki, is there a, a parting thought that you'd like to leave our listeners around the world with? Well, I just want everybody to know that no matter what's happening to you that's bad, you can get through it. Um, I did. And you never know what's around the corner or what's going to touch you and change your life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. be open to miracles because they do happen. Yep. Yep. And they happened in your life. That's for sure. Well, Vicki, we want to thank you very, very much for Absolutely. being with us this evening. This is a fantastic story of unconditional love, as I mentioned. Vicki Myron, small-town librarian, rescued a kitten uh, that she named Dewey, and then she wrote a book uh, which placed a library cat in the hearts. Actually, there's six books. Yes, yes. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. In in, uh, in addition to the seminal book that you uh, the, wrote, Dewey, the small-town library cat who touched the world. And so folks can go on the internet, and if they uh, Google your name, Vicki Myron, M-Y-R-O-N, <clears throat> all of your books should pop up. And for our listeners um, in other countries, uh, Amazon probably has a distribution uh, center in your country, and uh, it would be easy enough to uh, purchase one of these books from Amazon. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, and I, I want to tell everyone that there's also a website called DeweyReadMoreBooks.com. If you go there, you can actually watch, I think it's nine videos of them. Oh, really? Playing and, and interacting with the public and having a birthday party and all kinds of stuff. And there's also a ton of photos. Oh. So if they want to learn more about Dewey, that's the place to go. That's the place to go. And if they want to continue to help out in some way, <clears throat> they can go on the uh, website for the uh, Spencer, Iowa Library. Yes, and there's not only postcards, there's puzzles, too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With his face on it. Mm-hmm. So This is a never-ending story. Vicki, thank you so, yes, thank you so, so much. much for being with us. You're welcome. Well, it's always a joy to talk about Dewey, and I've been doing it for like 30 years. So. Oh, he is your <laughs> I life. I enjoy it every time. He is your life. What a legacy, too. Yeah, what a legacy. Well, folks, I'm Richard. And I'm, I'm Gary. <laughs> She's Amber. I'm Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and this was one incredible story. Absolutely. Till next time, guys. <laughs>